Welcome back, listeners. I'm your host, Brad Christensen, bringing you another exciting episode of Lost in Hyperspace, brought to you by Surrealist Pictures. Episode 3, World Building and Interactive Storytelling. All right, so now with this week's episode, we get a bit closer to the title of our podcast by discussing science fiction and fantasy and how world and even universe building can be used to enhance storytelling within the genre. Joining us today is a special guest, Patrick Dulabon, who is here with me to discuss this topic. He currently resides in Florida, so he luckily doesn't have to deal with bitter New York City winters. He'll be joining us today by Skype. Patrick, great to have you on the show. Thank you, Brad. Thanks for having me. So for those of you that don't know, one of my many inspirations for a lot of my writing comes from memories of playing the Myst series of video games when I was young. In this game, you are immersed into various worlds and progress through the game by solving puzzles that are often uncovered by examining the world and environment around you. Patrick, I understand you have your own inspirations from the game, too. Yeah, absolutely. I've been playing the series since The Mist was first released on Windows 95, way back in 95. So I played through the entire series, and it has been absolutely fantastic work that has inspired the work I have been doing for the online version of the game called Uru, uh, which is kind of an offshoot of the main series. And uh, their work has inspired most of the work that I've done, too. So, yeah. So, uh World building. I mean, one of the main attractions to me of the Mist series is just how fully immersive the worlds that they create truly are and how the characters are able to interact with those worlds. I mean, wouldn't you agree? It's it's definitely an experience that they take you and they put you in the story in a way that I feel that no other video game does. I would wholeheartedly agree. Cyan is actually very good at building their worlds because they take ideas that have really not been seen in other various genres. I mean, we do have the adventure game genre, but Cyan seems to draw from a place that's very surreal and very uh, out there, and it kind of creates a very interesting world to travel around in. I mean, they have Mist, which is basically... This You start off on an island, and you have these books, and they link you to various fantastic worlds. I mean, that alone right there is just so much ground for creating an entire universe of possibilities. And, you know, really all you need is just that first idea to, you know, sort of start building upon that and expanding. So, yeah, but you definitely need a basis to start with. And uh, I was going to stop you there, but I wanted to let you finish. Uh, so Surrealist Pictures, <laughs> you can kind of kind of see where that came from. There. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so the next question is, um, why is this important for filmmakers? I mean, good world building, in my opinion, allows the environment to give away its secrets rather than relying on extensive character depositions. We all hear it on science fiction so much that many call it technobabble. I mean, Patrick, I mean, you've, you've seen this before. I mean, they do this all the time in Star Trek. It, it's, 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 a, it's pretty much a staple yeah. for every science fiction television series or, and movie that you've seen. Well, you want the viewer to have some sort of explanation about how all this works. The trick is you can't overdo it, and that's actually what Star Trek has been guilty of. It's just way too much techno babble because 
that will turn off the average viewer to the show, which is why people see it as like this nerdy creation and why the reboot is kind of straight away from that. You don't want to pummel your audience with all these words, all this made up stuff. You want to give them some sort of explanation, but not to the point where they're sitting through a 10 minute lecture, you know? Yeah. Now, Bringing that back to our previous topic, so that's exactly what I meant when I said how world building can really help uh, filmmakers, particularly fantasy and fi- uh, particularly fantasy and science fiction filmmakers, because when you build the universe around the characters, it works better than having the universe explained by characters via lengthy depositional scenes maybe you have uh maybe you pick up a device and discover its function by accident rather than having another character come in and explain it um and, and in my opinion technobabble is there to reinforce the rules of the universe and it really shouldn't be relied upon because simply because characters haven't explored the environment around them th- thoroughly yeah i mean you don't it's more interesting to see a, you know to learn along with the characters what something does or how something works as opposed to just having it thrown at them i mean it's again basically the science lecture kind of thing i mean they can be interesting but to the average person they can get a little wordy and boring to see it in action though is is a better explanation i would say than just basically throwing a whole bunch of phrases and words at them you know yeah, and and I would say with the with the Mist series, one of the, one of the things I think that is a major attraction to the player, and I think is also in writing a major attraction to the characters, is when they when they figure things out for themselves. I mean, there's there's sort of a there's sort of a reward with an aha moment that you don't get when everything is explained to you, and more more or less the audience doesn't want everything explained to them either they want to discover things when the characters discover them and i think that world building can really help with that instead of relying on oh well you know the photon torpedo can't blah, blah, you know can't do that because it you know what i'm talking about you I mean there's always a scientific explanation that they try and throw in there to explain why something is or isn't possible um rather than just having relying on the environment to tell them what's possible and, and not possible. Mm-hmm. Well, and that was one of the criticisms of the Miss series is that it doesn't hold your hand in most of it. It basically sets you off on your own and gives you the minimal of story and lets you explore on your own and kind of come to your own conclusions, which, you know, for the average gamer may not be their cup of tea, but for, you know, Many people, and you and I are part of this community, we like to figure out things for ourselves. We like to be able to gather information and take that and figure out things on our Mm -hmm. own, you know? Yeah. So, And And I think characters like to figure things out for themselves, too. Exactly. And and that and you mentioned aha moments. That I think is the best kind of aha moments both in video games and in film or books or any medium is when you have that moment along with the character where you literally are sitting in your seat and go, "Ah, I see. That is actually because those usually are the most clever of aha moments. Cleverly written moments is when you find out with the characters exactly how that works or in a video game you figure that out you know yeah exactly um now i must say though there is a double-edged sword to this and this is one of the other things i notice about science fiction too um the opposite of that is Chekhov's gun and in science fiction 
this principle, um, which basically, it's a principle that states that anything that is present in a scene, such as a gun, shouldn't be present unless it is going to be used. You know, in fact, the man named after the principle said if there's a gun spotted in the Act 1, it has to go off during Act 3. Um, and in science fiction, this often plays out as such. Careful not to touch that switch or you'll vent air to the whole compartment. <laughs> I'd hate to see you surrounded by bad guys and need to get rid of them by actually blowing them into outer space like I just told you. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's that's the trick with those kind of things is that you want them to kind of see it, but you don't want it make it so obvious that you'll know – hours before the characters that that's what's going to happen or what's going to be needed. You know, you want it to where it happens more organically. And again, you have that aha moment with the characters and along their lines too, because again, if you just have it to where you're just throwing that in their face, it's not fun for the audience. It's not fun for them to just basically have that mm-hmm. and just basically be saying to the characters, okay, guys, come on, you can figure this out. We've already done it hours ago. So why can't they, you know? Well, yeah. And I mean, to, to, to use a more specific example than the general one, I mean, you do you do tend to notice this a lot more on TV series such as Doctor Who and, you know, not to give away any spoilers, but uh, the nuclear bolt gate, uh, the um, master's ring, then you even have the doctor's hand. I mean, you have these little objects that are, in the end, that was one of the criticisms, I think, of the Russell T. Davies era. Am I right? I mean, that they that the that the endings were could be figured out way before they happened. And yeah, it's that is again the trouble with writing such things is that again, you, they, if you make it too blatant, then it is going to be just you know it's like oh god, when are they going to get to the end of this thing? You know, it's just it's a, as you said, a double edged sword. It has to be handled just right in order for it to actually work for the audience. You know. Like Bad Wolf. I didn't see that one coming. But the and, nuclear yeah. bolt thing, definitely. <laughs> no, no. Again, it's it's just so blatantly obvious that it's just like, oh, yeah, this is going to come into play later. And yes, folks, we are also, as in addition to Uruites, we're also Whovians, so bear with us here. <laughs> yeah, and, I, and I'm definitely, I'm, I'm trying to be as vague as possible, but but put enough in there where people will, will hopefully if they know what I'm talking about they'll make the connection oh, but I no, don't want to yeah. spoil anything well plus you know I mean you got to appreciate the David Tennant era of Doctor Who too absolutely. you properly appreciate yes absolutely so uh, well I, I mean I think this so world building again we come back to the principle of um, creating a universe that the characters can figure out and work with rather than having you know, something specific within that universe being pointed out and having a plot point hinge around that. Um, what do you what do you think about that? Well, again, you want it to be well, especially for video games and even film. It's just you want it to be to the point where you know you have this very diverse universe, but you don't want it to get totally lost in it. You want you know, to have at least somewhat of a vision and somewhat of a path to follow, but not so much to where that's the only path you're following. You want, you know, a very expansive yet still somewhat structured, especially in video games, because especially open world video games, those are the ones where you could easily get lost for hours on a sidetrack. I mean, the Elder Scrolls, Grand Theft Auto, the Witcher series, they all have these massive worlds you can explore. But again, you know, you get sidetracked so easily that it detracts from the main story, and that can easily happen in film too. You know, and you don't want to linger too far on this because you want at least a coherent story along with all the extras. 
what do you think filmmakers can learn from video games, particularly immersive ones uh, like Mist and Abduction? Well, I think since they're, they don't adhere to the Hollywood tropes, they're a little bit more uh, open with their storytelling. They're a little bit more out there, which I like, and I think you do too, is we don't like the whole sequel, prequel, remake, that whole nasty business because sometimes they're good, but most of the time they're just rehashes and you want fresh new ideas. And and most of the video games, at least the indie developers, can you know present a more different world than you know say EA or Ubisoft or anything of that nature you know the big companies and the more creative you get the more immersive world i think you can make you know and again i think with video games one of the major benefits to them is you often don't see things coming i think with uh films a lot of times it is very easy to see things coming and you know i mean there are times in movies where you get surprised at things like i mean i mean we come back to the topic of Chekhov's gun here when you have characters that discuss you know principles of physics beforehand such as you know to come up with a plan i think it's it's not so blatantly obvious how things are going to uh play out when they're discussing generally how they're going to how they're going to plot their, you know, so-called plan, at least in a science fiction and television series. You know, they always have a plan to get themselves out of trouble. Um, and a good example is uh, Luke Skywalker. He's on the spot discovering the switch when fighting the Rancor. He doesn't know what it does, but he throws a rock at it and finds out, hey, you know, I just killed I just killed the Rancor. I mean, you have moments like that in video games. And I feel in movies, there's some, there's some, some mediums that have those moments, those aha moments, not all the time. Do you think that people over rely on plot and don't have enough character exploration um, the way that video games do? Well, it really depends. I mean, for movies, I mean, you only have about maybe an hour and a half to two hours or so to work with everything, unless, of course, you're planning on a sequel, but most films don't get multi-picture deals. So you're basically working within this set time, and there's only so much you can do with it without making it seem bloated or, you know, too overfed. So, you know, you have to basically work with what you got. With video games, you can actually, I mean, you have all this stuff, especially in recent years since they've been more cinematic, you have all these ways to develop a character, both on, say, side quests, the main quests, and etc., and still be able to develop the character more and more. And then, of course, like films, with sequels, you can continue to enhance those characters. But it all depends on what you're working with and how much time you have to work with it. And I think with that respect, films are a little bit tougher to do character developments properly. And that's where I think television is coming in, honestly, because you are getting rid of those limitations. You can you can go episode by episode and tell the story that you want to tell without having to without having to cram in your vast ideas into two hours. Oh yeah, or absolutely. However long your movie is. Yeah, absolutely. It uh, with especially with say the Netflix originals and all that stuff, um, and HBO, of course, with Game of Thrones. If you have that, gives you much more time to develop these characters, and you know, book series too, which of course Game of Thrones is based upon. But you know, if you have more medium to work with and more time and more screen time, basically, then you can expand upon these characters and further the plot while also making dynamic character decisions. You know, such as you know, Tyrion Lannister. I mean, he's a, 
absolutely fantastic character. And he's had like five or six seasons to grow and to develop. And it's been an interesting journey. And plus, Peter Dinklage is an awesome actor, so that doesn't hurt. And that's another thing with films and, and video games, too, is you need the proper actor or actress to really sell the part, you know, in order to oh, really yeah. sell that character. Because if you don't, then you just basically have somebody reading off a page or just standing in front of a camera reading you know the print basically right yeah yeah and and you know i love game of thrones and <laughs> there's just all these tv shows that you know that really hook you in and now what's really popular is serializing things so you're taking the story and you're continuing it forward in one continuous plot um but they took a different approach to it back, you know, when I was when I was growing up. Uh, one of the one of the other inspirations, you know, I, one of my first science fiction television series were uh, Star Trek: The Next Generation and Stargate SG One, and they did not take that approach. It was it was not really done. And in Deep Space Nine, that was that was very forward thinking. Serialization really wasn't a thing. But nowadays, I mean, everyone is serialized. Do you think that that? has to do with people's desire to continue one plot and expand it rather than telling a bunch of little stories and being um, confined into those spaces, like what we were talking about with films? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that has to do with the advent of streaming online media, uh, Netflix, Amazon, all those, is that now with binge watching, you can actually go through an entire story, uh, 13, 14 episodes worth of a story and be able to continue on. Because before you had the TV uh aspect of things, which is basically week to week to week. And a lot can happen in a week, as you know. Oh, yeah, so, absolutely. you know, it, it, it breaks up the, the flow. But again, since binge watching has now become a thing with the online streaming, you can now go through an entire story that is hours and hours worth of material and not miss a beat. You know, you can, I mean, absolutely. you can put it down. Yeah. You can put it down for like the night, of course, and get some sleep or you could stamp and watch whichever but you know there's very little space in between if you really like a show you can watch the whole thing through yeah i yeah and that's a very good point because when i was a kid and i would watch a really good episode of stargate sg1 i would hate it when i would see the to be continued and would have to wait until next week oh those two-parters were brutal i mean heroes heroes was a bad one You, you don't get I mean? that anymore. Now it's one continuous story that you could just go all the way through, and I think that that's a good point. I mean, you're, you're you're it's basically like a movie, but it's you're breaking it down into smaller parts and and watching it in pieces rather than having to you know go through the whole thing in two hours. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's you know when you have the week to week, that's when the previously on comes in very handy <laughs> because again, a lot can happen in a week, and you may forget what happened, and just the little. You know, bullet points are always very helpful. But again, with the streaming, you know, they have that on some of them. But really, it's luckily with Netflix or, you know, such, you can just skip through that. But, you know, it's it, again, it's all about one continuous story. And if it's a good story, even the week to week format can still work for it. Again, you just need the to refresh people's memories if you need to. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's. I'm going to turn this over to a, a new topic. Um, one of the real inspirations that I had recently was playing Abduction, and I thought Ooh, yes. I, I felt the same way I did, almost the same way I did when I was playing Riven, in the, in the way that I thought it was... Riven, to me, was just the pinnacle of what a video game could do when I was a kid. Um, and and f- for those of you who don't know, Riven was the sequel to Myst. 
Um, but you have these alien characters and environments that are vastly unfamiliar in abduction, and they also introduce... They, they also take it a step further, whereas most of the characters in the Mist series were human or humanoid. Um, they actually introduced alien characters, and I thought that they did it, you know, quite successfully, too. Um, and they took it into a new step of the series by having these different cultures within the game. And uh, yeah, and again, that goes back to universe building, which, again, adds to the story. And in this case, it did. And uh, that's, I think, something that Cyan has not really delved into before. And I think they actually did a pretty good job, uh, especially and just in the game in general, because it uh, was an immersive world, you know, an alien world in some cases. And they really did create something special. And this was all on Kickstarter, too. This was not their usual, you know, mist-riven budget. Well, mist was a garage game, but Riven was their big budget one. And, but no, they're back to their roots, I think, with the abduction because it was made within a budget and just with all their creative minds working overtime. So yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed the game and I recommend anybody listening to it. If they haven't, go play it. Just make sure that your system is strong enough to handle it is all I can say. But absolutely. it is worth it, believe me. Especially I, with totally VR, I've heard. VR sounds like it's absolutely Wouldn't amazing. Wouldn't we all like to try abduction via VR? <laughs> <laughs> someday, someday. Someday. Um, is the future of storytelling going to be an interactive one? I mean, and this is something, having grown up with these interactive games, what's your take on that? Well, I think, yes, I think interactive storytelling is going to be, it's going to continue on because video games and films are very popular mediums. It just depends on what people are up for at the time. I mean, being interactive with a story, it has its own fun times, but sometimes you just want to sit back and just watch something on Netflix or, you know, in the theater or what have you. You just want to basically not have to do anything and just sit and watch and enjoy. And in some cases in interactive storytelling, you can do that too. I mean... There have been some games that have been a little bit guilty of having very long cutscenes. The Metal Gear Solid series is one of them. And, you know, cutscenes that would go on for like 15, 16 minutes, which is fine. But, you know, you want it to the point where you have a balance of both, you know, you're watching the story, but you also don't want to leave the gamers just sitting there twiddling their thumbs while you watch. So, otherwise, it's not a game, it's an interactive movie. Yeah. Um, and and that and that's a good point. I mean I mean the future very well could be that you participate in science fiction movies and fantasy movies rather than just watching it, you know? I mean, you never know where this is gonna go. I mean you you sent me an article just recently about something similar. Yes, I did. It was it's a film and unfortunately I forget the title at the moment. We'll have to post that later. But uh, it was. It's basically. It's being filmed in the traditional way, in your way, but it's being set up to where it's basically a choose-your-own-adventure story. So it'll be like a film, but you'll be able to make the decisions for the main character, and they'll branch off into their own various parts of the story, and. Presumably, like the choose-your-own-adventure books of old, you will come to a different conclusion each time you play through it a certain way. So I think that alone – I mean, that it might not be for everybody because, again, some people just like the Call of Duty, shoot em ups or what have you. And again, more power to them. But those of us that want story, that want that interactive experience and that universe to experience will want something more. And I think that – could be part of a new kind of genre because they have had uh, interactive FMV video before, but that was back in the 90s when the technology wasn't all that great and the videos were a little cruddy. 
But now with the HD cameras and everything else, you can make a feature film quality type setting and still make it interactive, which I think should be very interesting. Mm -hmm. All right. So uh, we're coming a little short on time here. But uh, so to wrap this up, um, going back to Mist and Abduction, as as a science fiction uh, writer and fantasy writer, I'm always very fascinated by the worlds that they were able to come up with for these mm-hmm. video games. Would you like to? My favorite world to start us off was would probably have to be. I would have to say Spire and Riven, mm-hmm. just because of the expansiveness and how everything was tied together. Oh, absolutely. Um, and and also because I mean, how could you not like the Age of Riven and be a Mist fan? I mean, that's pretty much the <laughs> pinnacle of where everything takes place with the for the first part of the series. Anyway, do you have any favorite worlds that really stuck with you through the series? Well, a particular favorite of mine is actually from Mist Three, and that's Amateria. That's the one uh, for those that are not familiar. It's uh, very. It's not a huge age, but it's a very mechanical age where by using various weights and lifts and solving the puzzles at the very end, you get a very nice reward of what is essentially a roller coaster ride. At the very end, you find the code that gets you towards closer towards the end world, which again, but I just liked it because, you know, not only is it an amazing age to look at, but it also the various bits and pieces that go together into this and it, the payoff at the end is absolutely fantastic. I mean, it was very good for the time. So I would love to see that in like HD 3d. That would be uh, amazing, but it'd probably be sickening too, but still it would be great. I think. Yeah. I mean, I have to, I, I mean, honestly, it's hard for me to choose. I could, I could add Serenia, um, mm. which is this beautiful, um, almost psychedelic age, um, and then you've also got ages, by the way, in the Mist series are, are worlds. Um, mm-hmm. And then you've also got uh, another favorite of mine would have to be Narayan. And then Ooh. in the first game, I probably would say my favorite would have been Channelwood. I, Ooh, I, would say. I agree on that one. Yes. And, and, I would, and, and that holds a special place in my heart because that was the that was the first age that I got to go to after uh missed the first island Mm -hmm. so that's yeah i mean that one no that one was absolutely amazing in that it was one of the very few that actually had civilization in it it's just unfortunately we didn't get to see any of them but and also just because it was just amazing to look at you know what i mean and plus again the working parts of the age and just all the puzzles it it really came together i'd say yeah you should see it on the real mist masterpiece edition and yes this is a shameless plug for cyan but yeah but it looks even better in the um i think it's the unreal engine or is it Unity? yeah yeah One of yeah, the two. yeah. So, uh, i think it's, anyway. i think it's i think it's <laughs> yeah i can't remember if it's the unity or the unreal have to look, we'll have to post that um but anyway patrick thank you for joining us um we'll definitely need to get you back on our podcast soon well thank you brad thank you for having me thanks for listening if you have any comments or want to contribute to this discussion, please reach out using our SoundCloud and Facebook pages. While you're at it, be sure and share this podcast on Facebook and Twitter, and like and follow us for the latest updates.